It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you the set. Welcome in. Happy Monday, everybody. We are back in Atlanta after my week's vacation. I appreciate you guys bearing with me in those horrible conditions that I was in down in Florida. And certainly great to be back here in the home studio with a gorgeous day here in Atlanta. And I'm so glad you guys have chosen to make A to Z and Locked On Sports Atlanta part of your everyday routine Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter at LockedOnATL. And, of course, I am at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Can't wait to hear from you guys out there. First segment of the show brought to you by our good friends at Built Bar. You know, it's a time of year where you're probably letting your New Year's resolutions go and you're back into the sweet stuff and the snacks. Well, make Built Bar part of your everyday snack routine. Why? Because they are not only tasty, they are healthy for you. And they're covered in 100% chocolate. And they have these things called puffs. You know what puffs are? Protein-infused marshmallows, folks. Yes, right. Unreal that they put protein into a marshmallow. Some incredible flavors. They have cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. They're going to be your favorite. They are so good and so yummy. Built Bars, low-calorie, high-protein. You can replace these with all of your snack foods and candy bars. Go to Built.com. Check out the macro counter. If you count your macros and your calories and your proteins and your carbs and everything, these are Fantastic treats for you. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. You can compare that to any candy bar out there. I guarantee you, you won't find one as good as Built Bar. Plenty of flavors, mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond. And new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. So delicious. New flavors coming out all the time. If you think that there's a flavor you might like, Give them a shout. They'll make it. It'll be delicious and good for you because of Built Bars. They make them taste good first and figure out how to make them good for you. Second, go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, BuiltBar.com and the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. All right. Uh, we are away and running, and the path is set for the Atlanta Hawks as they head to the NBA postseason. Before we get into the path here, we do want to give a quick nod to Trey Young and the performance that he has put together this season, just the second NBA player ever, and the first since Tiny Archibald did it in 1972-1973, to lead the league in points and assists. He had 2,155 points and 737 assists on the year. Trey continues to do everything in a high-volume pace, right? That's just who he is. He's a high-volume shooter, high-volume assist guy. Uh, and not only that, now he's in the elite ranks of NBA history. Remember, Trey was the first college player in NCAA history in his one year at Oklahoma to lead the NCAA in points and assists in the one year at OU. So Trey Young having a phenomenal season and playoff Trey is going to have to show up. You know, the Atlanta Hawks are a team right now that uh, that a lot of people may have in the back of their minds as somebody they don't want to face in the postseason. And you can understand why. And we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's look at what they have in front of them to, quote, make the full playoffs, because right now they're just in the play-in. They'll they'll take on the Charlotte Hornets at home. Atlanta is great at home. Uh, Third most wins in the Eastern Conference at home. 
this year. Uh, they score a lot more points at home than they do on the road. They're just a lot more comfortable there. Uh, whatever the reason is, the rims, the side angle, the line angles, whatever you want to call it, side angles, uh, they are just a much more comfortable team at home. And this is going to help them in their first round matchup with a team that's every bit of good, every bit as good offensively as they are. And that's the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, you look at the total in this game set at 237 and a half, expect a ton of points to be scored, but playoff Trey has to show up. Now here is, I've said this repeatedly, and since we started this show, and I'll say it again because you just have to note that this is how this is going to work out. Charlotte's a bad defensive team. Charlotte yesterday in the regular season finale gave up over almost 110 points to a Washington Wizards team that started five guys who you've never heard of. I mean, that's they were putting a D-League team out on the floor yesterday, and they were able to keep that game close to Washington Wizards were because the Charlotte Hornets defense is so, so bad. Um, and that's going to help the Hawks. Why? Because they're not going to have John Collins for this game. At least right now, it looks like they're not going to have John Collins uh, for the first part of the playoffs here, or at least the play-in tournament. And they're going to need John Collins uh, because, as I said, when they start to face better defensive teams, they need somebody to take the attention off Trey. But Charlotte can't defend Trey. Um, and the Hawks, favored by four and a half, this should be a easy sort of win for them. I don't want to make it seem that simple, but it is. They're a better team than Charlotte. They're a more experienced team than Charlotte. Their playoff run last year is certainly going to help them. Uh, they have the horses in the barn, so to speak. They should be able to take care of Charlotte. And once you start to outscore them, uh, Charlotte's going to force a lot more shots. They're going to force a lot more threes. They'll miss them. And the Hawks will start to pull away in this thing. That's kind of the game script I see unfolding in this game between these two teams. And then the next game likely will be against the Cleveland Cavaliers because the Brooklyn Nets are going to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in their play-in game at the Barclays Center. Now, the Hawks will take on the Cavs. Uh, the Cavs are one of the better defensive teams in the league. But what they don't have is the offense to keep up with Atlanta. I'll give Cleveland some credit for their defense and how good that they've been. But if you look at the last matchup between these two teams, particularly the one at State Farm Arena, and oh, by the way, this game will probably have to, if I'm if I'm correct, it has to go to Cleveland because Cleveland was the higher-seeded team. Um, so even though it's away from State Farm Arena, the Hawks have enough offense to overcome Cleveland's good defense. Uh, you're going to need a big night from Trey, um, and Cleveland may just put everything they can and throw everything they can at Trey and say, everybody else beat us. But we talked about Trey Young's stat lines, right? Uh, if he's going to have one of those 30% shooting nights, 35% shooting nights, he better be getting to the free throw line a ton, and he better be dishing out a ton of assists. I mean, and again, I don't want to get too far down the road, but this was obviously the easiest path through the play-in tournament. If they weren't going to host somebody other than Brooklyn in the first round of the play-in tournament being the seven seed, this was the easiest path. Get the home game in the 9-10 and then have to face a very limited offensive team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Don't count what the Cleveland Cavaliers did yesterday in the Milwaukee Bucks, who played nobody as well. That does not count. So the point being, this was the easiest path for this team going forward. Now, when you get to the regular playoffs, the Hawks will end up taking on the Miami Heat. That is a matchup I don't like for Atlanta right off the bat. But it's going to require Trey Young to do Trey Young things uh, like he did last year in the postseason. Uh, for, for as much as Trey already averages near 30 and 10, as far as assists is concerned, he's going to have to, to to hit that number or exceed it against the Miami Heat, who are a very, very good defensive team. Um, better than the Cleveland Cavaliers, probably better than the Boston Celtics to a certain extent, even though the Celtics have been playing great defense as of late. Um, this is not a matchup that is necessarily 100% favorable for the Hawks, but 
One thing that is going to keep the Hawks moving is their three-point shooting. They're second best in the NBA in three-point shooting. And Trey Young, who averages a, taking eight threes a game and making around three and a half of them, um, you know, this is where the Hawks are always going to be able to keep themselves in games, right? And and when you're taking on a team like Miami that is good on defense, uh, the best thing you can do is drain threes to stretch that defense out and open things up underneath. You have guys who can get inside, Clint Capella, you know, Boggy obviously can get to the net, Bogey, Boggy. Why am I bad with names these days? I can't figure this out. Anyway, regardless, um, Bogey is, is, can get into the lane. Uh, and if you don't have John Collins, again, you're going to need guys who can work inside a little bit and make things happen. So uh, I, this isn't the best matchup to get to Miami. Again, I don't want to look too far down the road with the Atlanta Hawks because uh, they do have some work in front of them. Uh, and it would be a massive disappointment for them not to get to at least the seven-game series in this NBA postseason because they are – uh, talented enough team by all measures the season was a disappointment um as far as where they ended up but this is where they are they've got to win two more games to get themselves to the nba postseason all right coming up next uh the braves ended up with a split and some takeaways from that first series of 2022 that's next right here on a to z on locked on sports atlanta free on youtube search locked on sports atlanta wherever you get your podcast we'll be right back Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. I am Mark Zinno. Thank you so much for joining me. Follow me on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. As well, follow Locked On Sports Atlanta, Locked On ATL, at Locked On ATL. Now that we are back here in our home studios, we'll start to get more of our Locked On uh, hosts on the show as well. We'll expand some of our guest lists and really open this up for you guys to be a big part of uh, each and every day and certainly want to hear from you guys who you want to see on the show, what you want to see me talk about. Please don't be shy about hitting me up and telling me what you think. Of course, you're all not shy about telling me when you think I'm an idiot, but that's understandable. I'm I'm often more of an idiot than not. So uh, I appreciate you guys reminding me of that on a routine basis. This segment of the show brought to you by our friends on betonline.net, your number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest sports developments, including Major League Baseball odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. Bet continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online where the game starts. As an avid better, you guys know that I check betonline.net on a routine basis just to keep up with everything that's going on. Of course, uh, I post a lot of my picks on Twitter. Getting into baseball season, there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff going on when it comes to betting baseball. If you haven't done it before, uh, certainly hit me up. We'll have a conversation about ways to approach it and things that are fun. Right now, K-Props early on in the year. And the unders are starting to trend. So, and a lot of unders are starting to trend because of what we've seen from a truncated spring training and where we are right now uh, with a lot of these players being 100% ready for the season. So, the Braves uh, end up splitting with the Cincinnati Reds. They go two and two over their first four games. Uh, and, you know, you don't make too much of anything at this point in time. But just a couple of observations of where we are through four games. And again, please do not mistake this for anything other than observations and things that I'll start to look at going forward. Not necessarily grand sweeping generalizations, not necessarily any sort of, you know, facts about what this team is going to be this year. But I think that there is a couple of questions you can ask and say, let's just start to see how this develops over the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, games and weeks, I should say, uh, and see where this team goes and where they're headed. Because, um, you know, Brian Snitker's job in all this is to diagnose problems and diagnose them early on and make corrections and changes to them and figure them out. 
I don't think you can make any corrections and changes to the pitching staff at this point in time, particularly the starters. Ian Anderson gets bombed yesterday. It wasn't his best start. You know, again, could you attribute that to a truncated spring and him not being 100% sharp? Maybe that would have been normally a spring start that you forget about and dump. This one counts. He gets beat. Uh, and a guy, in full disclosure, again, bet on Ian Anderson yesterday uh, and the Red and the uh, and the Reds and the and the Braves. Uh, and I didn't hit, didn't hit it because Ian Anderson's home road splits were fantastic at Truist Park. He's been a much better pitcher at home. I mean, don't forget his his debut against Garrett Cole in the Yankees, and he wins that game. Uh, he's always been very good at Truist Park. Was not the case yesterday. It happens. But again, I don't think you make any sweeping generalizations about anything on the starting staff because a lot of these guys are still going to need another start or two um, to get through where they normally would be when the season would start. So I think you can kind of just wait a little bit more. I think when you look at something like Anderson, you know, you start to look at command. Uh, is he is he not spotting his pitches the right way? Does he Is he not overpowering guys? Does his fastball look flat? Like, I think those are things that pitching coaches and managers will start to look for to see if there's anything systemic that could develop. But generally on the whole, all these guys are keeping their spot in the rotation, which is a six-man rotation at this point in time, uh, and going to continue to get their starts as the season goes along. The only other major question I would really have at this point in time, well, I should say two of them, um, and they're sort of intertwined. Um, one, Rosario in the leadoff spot, how much longer does that last? Uh, Eddie Rosario is like a darling here in Atlanta now after his playoff run, and he certainly deserves it because he was great. But he wasn't in the leadoff spot doing that, um, at least not for a bulk of the time. And what you're seeing right now from the Braves um, is Rosario struggling at the top of the lineup through the first four games. He's only got one hit. Um, he's got a bunch of strikeouts, which is another, um, you know, issue, I think, for this team. This whole team is a bunch of strikeouts. Adam Duvall, I think, has seven strikeouts or six. Uh, Dansby Swanson has eight. Um, these are not good numbers. This team has struck out 38 times through the first four games. Do the math. That's, you know, over nine strikeouts a game. That's that. That's problematic for this team. They need to strike out less uh, going forward. But uh, we're back to Rosario here, who's only got one hit in 14 at-bats to start the season. He's batting 071. Um how quickly and how much longer does he stay there? Conversely, because Matt Olson has done everything you've asked him to do, he's batting 571. He's got eight hits and 14 at-bats. He's already got a home run. Like, he looks fantastic in the two-hole and looks very comfortable there. And, and the same thing for Austin Riley, where he is in the lineup. I think I think some of this stuff is starting to look very comfortable for some of these other guys. But Rosario at the top, how much longer can you continue to give a free out at the top of the lineup the way he is? Again, I'm not saying Rosario is going to be bad this year. I'm not saying that, that that he's going to struggle. I'm saying right now he's struggling through the first four games. How much longer will this continue? Um, after a week of baseball, is it fair? After three more games, is it fair for you to go, okay, maybe we need to move Rosario out of this spot and switch some things around? That's 100% on Brian Snicker. Uh, but when you have a guy like Matt Olson tearing the cover off the ball the way he is through the first four games, on base in front of him, helps get you an early lead, and that's something that you can take advantage of, especially with this team, the way it's constructed with their starters and then how good their bullpen is. Getting a lead early helps them a lot more um, than most other clubs would. So uh, I, I think it's important to at least understand the dynamic of where they are. Now, the follow-up question to Rosario is if he's not the leadoff guy, well, then who is? Uh, Albies hasn't been hitting the ball to start the year, and we, we know that he hasn't been great. Uh, he only has one hit. He's batting 083. <laughs> um, so you don't know if you go in that direction. Uh, Dansby's struggling as well. 
Uh, he only has two hits so far for the first four games, batting a buck 67. And he, as I mentioned, he struck at, he strike, strike out eight times uh, in four games. So he hasn't been great. I don't know if there's anybody else at this point in time that you really could put at the top of the lineup. Um, do you look at maybe when he plays Dickerson or Heredia? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, neither one of those guys have a hit yet. But again, they haven't played that much. So how much longer does Rosario stay in the spot? I think it remains to be seen. I think it's totally fair to ask the question of how much more he's going to be there uh, and, and when that change is going to be made. Uh, and the strikeouts continue and should be a concern. Um, there, there's too many. You don't want to turn into a home run or strikeout lineup. Uh, and that's part of the reason why they, they work so hard to get Matt Olson here uh, is because he's not that guy. Right. Um, Riley has to transform out of that guy and put the bat on the ball more. We saw him do that a little bit. Albies will do that. I mean, he he won't continue to strike out um, at, at a high rate. He'll start to put the bat on the ball more because that's just who he is. That's what the back of his baseball card said he is. So I don't think you need to worry about that. But um, how much more will the strikeout rate continue? And is it just two guys right now that's really carrying the load between Dansby and Duvall um, with almost half? of those strikeouts on their own. So uh, something just to monitor. Again, these are not sweeping generalizations. These are just things that I'm looking at. Um, how much longer does Rosario stay in the leadoff spot? And will the strikeouts continue to be an issue? Something you watch over the course of the next week. Not necessarily worried about wins or losses at this point. Let's just see how these guys start to develop. Uh, and again, the weather was unseasonably cold during that first series. That may have a lot to do with it. Some guys just don't like playing ball in the cold weather. They're not that good. That's why a lot of guys usually wait until May to get going. Uh, it just happens that way sometimes. They play in the warm weather of Florida, and they head north, uh, and it's not warm for the first month of the year. So let's wait and see how it all shakes out. Uh, there, there, there will be plenty of Braves to talk about over the course of the next six months. All right, coming up next, uh, a Masters take that no one likes from me. And plus, maybe the Falcons do know what they're doing. That is coming up next right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. A to Z. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at LockedOnATL, at Mark Zinno, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, just search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Final segment coming up next. Welcome back to Locked On Sports Atlanta. It is A to Z. I am Mark Zinno. Thank you so much for spending your Monday with us. Appreciate you guys downloading the podcast and listening or watching free on YouTube wherever you are. Again, like and subscribe. Make sure you stay locked into everything here, A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Check out all of the other great shows we have on Locked On Sports Atlanta, including Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Of course, you get ATL Day One, Jarvis Davison, and Tanitra Batiste. Don't forget about Grant McCauley's Braves postgame or post-game podcast, or what do you call that, Pod postcast, I don't know, anyway. But Grant McCall is the best Braves baseball guy out there. Uh, there's no doubt about that, hands down. And he's part of this Locked On Network here, so appreciate you guys giving him a shout. And, of course, Grant will join us here on the show at some point in the near future. Uh, maybe we'll see if we can get him on later on this week, but certainly we'll talk Braves baseball with him. Uh, but let's turn our attention here to the Masters as it wraps up yesterday. Uh, and I often um, – you know, put tweets out there. Again, I'm on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O, that people tend to disagree with and call me names over. And that's fine, guys. I promise you I don't lose an ounce of sleep over anything you write to me on Twitter. Like, honestly, I, I never have and I never will. So give me your best, give me your worst, whatever. I don't care. That said, I'd like to explain my position a little bit more. Um, I tweeted out yesterday that Scotty Scheffler, who wins his first Masters, number one player in the world, um, that he didn't really do anything. He didn't play well enough on a Masters Sunday to win the tournament. 
He just played not to lose. And sometimes that's enough. Um, now, on the surface, I know how that sounds because there's not a lot of context behind it, that it sounds like I'm taking something away from Scotty Scheffler. But in reality, I'm not. Like, I'm just observing the fact that for the last two days of this tournament, Scott Scheffler just scrambled his tail off. That's all he did. I mean, he did not hit a ton of fairways. He did not hit a ton of greens regulation. Uh, he was fantastic with his wedge on Saturday. Anything that was in and around the green, whether it was a 60-yard wedge shot on the way in or, so, or, or a second shot, approach shot that missed the green that he chipped up within for a one putt. I mean, he was, he was very good at scrambling to make par. Uh, and, and that's a credit to him. But I would ask you, like, think about this objectively. If you watched his entire four rounds, especially on Saturday and Sunday, tell me a shot that sticks out to you. Like, I can name three of them off the top of my head of Rory McIlroy, who shot a 64 yesterday, that were amazing, right? Like, these were, these were shots that were like, whoa. You know, those you're playing like you want this thing badly. Um, and I'm not saying Scott Shepard didn't want it badly. Of course he did. And he played well enough to be able to shoot par on the final day and or two under whatever he was and win the tournament. That, that's a credit to him. I'm not taking anything away from him. But there was nothing really memorable about his final round. Like if there was anybody who could have challenged, if Rory McIlroy had another round in the 60s, we're looking, we're talking about an entirely different tournament. If this, if that, I get it. He didn't and Scheffler deserved to win. I'm not saying he didn't but I just don't think he played all that special on the final Sunday of the Masters. Cam Smith choked the thing away, uh, had plenty of opportunities. And, and that was the other thing too. Scott Scheffler had plenty of opportunities to put Cam Smith away and never did, right? And every time Cam Smith got close, he ended up giving one back um, and, and never really pushed him into contention. Never trust the guy with the mullet. What can I tell you? Um, but I, and I know it sounds like I'm taking something away from him. He played four continuously good days of golf and he deserves to be the master champion hundred percent. I just don't think it was anything special. Just there was nothing about it that stood out as memorable to me. And I know it sounds all hot takey and I know it sounds all like, you know, trying to be a troll and all I, I get it. I'm just objectively looking at the round that he played yesterday and going, I didn't see anything exciting. I mean, he missed the fairways a ton. Uh, and he didn't exactly get up and, you know, get on the green on his approach shot all that often. Like how many greens regulation did he make yesterday? I don't think it was many. So, I mean, look, he did birdie 12, which is the hole that, you know, usually kills everybody. Uh, so you give him credit for that. Uh, but still, again, I just, I don't know. I, I was expecting something a little more, uh, grand on the final day of the masters. I will say this much about Scotty Scheffler, which I do love about him. Uh, this is great. It, it, he has got an ugly swing, man. Have you seen that? He's got a, a very ugly follow through. Like he looks like an average golfer, right? His swing is like an average golf. You take some of these golfer swings out on tour, they, they almost look like they belong in the Louvre, right? They, they're picture perfect. Sheffler's swing is not that at all. Go back and look at some of his swings and some of his finishes and follow throughs. Man, he looks like he, he looks like that guy from from your work that you go golfing with on the thirteenth hole after he's had six beers. You know, like he just he doesn't really have all that beautiful of a swing. Uh, but nonetheless, he's the number one player in the world and it works for him. And so, you know, I think it's great that, uh, that he wins. And, and I would say this much, look, this may be the start of a run for him where he's going to win another major here within the next year, maybe another one this year and one next year. Uh, I certainly as a betting man would, would look to him as that, and even though he's going to be a probably a heavy favorite 
much heavier than he was heading into the Masters this year. So if you had a Scotty Scheffler ticket at plus 1,800 or whatever it was to win the Masters this year, congratulations to you. All right, uh, pivot here in the final moments of uh, this Monday show. Talk about the Falcons, just because this bears worth repeating. And I keep seeing how the Falcons, you know, are signing this player and signing that player. And, you know, there's a lot of no-name guys that nobody really knows. You know, and I just looked at their, their cap situation today. Um, they are just over the cap uh, in, in, in an effective cap space, and, and that includes signing your draft picks. They're actually over the cap. So they, they, they don't have much room left to do anything. Um, and I began to look at, and I was just scrolling through some of the names that they've signed versus some of the guys that were out there and start wondering the question, you know, like what could they have done differently? And you start to look at some of the names out there of guys that are still out there. I mean, Jadavian Clowney's still out there. Odell Beckham Jr. Tyron Matthew is still out there. These are big names like JC Treader, um, Stefan Gilmore, even though he's old, Eric Fisher. Uh, these are high level guys, Akeem Hicks that are going to cost way, way too much. But if you scroll down the list a little more, there's a lot of guys out there that could be sitting on one-year deals who are a little bit older that may be able to be somebody that they – like, to, for example, Will Fuller, 28 years old, not exactly old and a wide receiver, um, but that's a guy that's probably going to get a one-year deal. You know, um, you look at some of these other names that are out there, uh, Joe Hayden, not that they necessarily need another quarterback per se, Kyle Fuller of the Broncos. These are one-year deal kind of guys. Jason Pierre-Paul, if you're looking for an edge rusher. Uh, and, and these guys may just be too expensive. That's really what it boils down to. They just may be too expensive of a player, even though they are only going to get a one-year deal to do anything else. And maybe there is still some time to sign these guys, like Riley Reef of the of, of the Bengals. Um, you know, if they wanted to make some changes at tackle and maybe move McGarry inside, if that was something that they would do. Um, you know, there are other guard Eric Flowers from the Washington Commanders. The guard there probably only going to get a one-year deal. Not going to be very expensive. You know, could they plug him in at the other guard opposite Chris Lindstrom? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, I just look at all these names out there, and then I look at what the Falcons had in cap space, and you begin to wonder. It's like, well, they got to fill out a 53-man roster somewhere. Uh, and and you can't, even though you probably could have afforded some of these guys individually, that would have left you any room to put anybody else on the roster. And so maybe the Falcons, you know, to a certain extent, do know what they're doing. Maybe they they, they are approaching this the best thing they can. Here is the one thing that you can hang your hat on. And here is the one relief that should make you smile. I'm looking at the, cal the salary cap space for 2022. If I just click one little button and change it to the salary cap space from 2023, because in 2022, again, the Falcons have a red number next to them, and they are fifth from the bottom in the league. You click on the 2023 tab, guess what happens? They move to the third highest cap space team, third from the top, with nearly... 77 million in cap space to spend next year. And you scroll all the way down, you look on the right where it says dead money. You know what that number is? Zero. That's what this whole thing has been all about. From day one, that's what this is about. My only angst with the Falcons is they should have done it two years ago in reality. And they definitively should have done it when Arthur Smith got here and Terry Fontenot got here. That should have been when they made all these moves uh, and, and they would be on their way out of this rebuild already. But I digress. Don't need to go down that road once again. So let's continue to see how this unfolds as we get closer to the draft and what the Falcons do. That'll do it for us here on A to Z on this Monday. Make sure you guys give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno. We'll be back tomorrow doing it all over again right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. I'm Mark Zinno. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad 
free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.